If you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, turn with me to John chapter 15. We will be concluding this session of the Vine, the Vineyard series, or the Vine series. This is a tremendous text. I want us to take a moment and read the entire text, not the entire John 15, but just the portion that I feel that would be most appropriate for us today in John chapter 15, beginning with the first verse. We're going to look at one verse, really. We're going to unpack several to support that one verse, but I want us to revisit the entire text. John 15, beginning with the first verse, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone, anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard my father heard my father from my father I have made known to you you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask of the father in my name he will give to you this I command you that you love one another let's pray father God let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight today Lord I pray as we unpack your word today now, Father, we find something fresh and new today. Even today, Lord, as we walked into this pulpit, Lord, I ask that you give us something that we did not even notice before. Just reveal something special in your word today, God. And Father, I pray this wonderful congregation, Lord, today that's here will grasp a hold of your word today. And we will be radically changed in this place. Lead us to a changing point. Lead us to a changing point that will lead us to be a change agent for this community. God, we thank you for the testimony of this congregation. The many, many years that it's been in this, in this community, ministering to this community. God, the best days are ahead in the life of this congregation. I pray that we'll be found faithful and focused to the task at hand. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said, amen. In a world drenched with relativism, 
The Bible is unique both in its clarity and its authority. Where many people see gray, God's word speaks in black and white. There, the Bible is absolute, it's definite, it's definitive. It is the authority of God himself. It is without error. It's inerrant and it's infallible. It's proactive. It's complete, unconcerned with political correctness. Now, all of us over the last several weeks have been noticing how in politically correct most people can be. I mean, this has really gotten strange, this political cycle, has it not? But some people are so concerned with being politically correct when I think we ought to be biblically correct. Political correctness does not line up sometimes with the word of God because the word of God is without error. We want to appease people sometimes when the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Sometimes it needs to cut away some things that we need cutting away. Therefore, unafraid to, the Bible is unafraid to confront people with the reality of the sin that lives inside there and the condition that they are living in. As a result, Scripture makes a stark contrast between those who are saved by His glorious grace and those who are eternally lost, between those who are with Jesus and those who are against Jesus, between those who are in the world and those who are not of this world world, those who are friends of God and those who are not. This passage today, when we look at verse 15, it helps us understand the contrast between those who are friends of God and those who are friends of the world. Friendship of Christ results in the intimate relationship with him. It begins with that moment-by-moment fellowship with him. It begins with that instantaneous confessing of one sin and inviting him to live eternally in your life and that growing relationship as the apostle Peter said he says enjoy inexpressible and full of glory only after hours only before hours just before his death this is where he declared greater love than this and one lay down his life for his friends the supreme evidence of his love indicates that he did not die for himself he died for the entire world John 3 6 16 declares that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only, one of a kind, unique, only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have life and life everlasting. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes to the church at Rome, watch what he says, for a while we were still helpless, at the right time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Godly. For one who, who, who hardly die, one will hardly die for the righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would come, would dare to even die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. In a couple of weeks, billions of people around the world will celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hundreds of thousands of people will fill buildings in this area. And we pray this building is filled to capacity on Easter celebration, resurrection Sunday, declaring the goodness and the glory of our Savior because he died for us. Those of us that were saved, we have received the gift of eternal life. That marvelous grace, 
In this statement, Paul summarized God, Christ's substitutionary atonement for believers in, to the Corinthians letter. He said, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Peter also reminds his readers in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, listen to what he says. Christ also died for the sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Folks, let me tell you something. That, te- that declares to us that Christ died one time for the sins of the world. Amen? If we could lose our salvation, that means we could earn our salvation, then that means Christ would have to die on the cross over and over and over and over again. He died once for the lost. He died once for each and every one of us. Echoing the words John said in his, he wrote this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. In the last week, we talked about obedience being a choice. It does not earn us salvation. Salvation is earned when we surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we confess our sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. Obedience is that fellowship, but it, it helps us understand that a person that is saved by his grace, truly saved by his grace, will be so connected to the vine that he will produce much fruit. The branch abides in Christ, the true vine, and will eventually, inevitably, produce much fruit. Now, with all that said, I want you to look at one verse this morning, and I want to talk to you this morning about understanding the knowing that loving Christ, we will know Christ. By knowing Christ, we will love Christ. The message truth is, the better you know Jesus Christ, the more you will love him. Salvation is a living relationship. We cannot grow in him apart from a personal relationship with our Savior. John chapter 15, verse 15, notice what it says. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. The highest level of obedience is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. The highest level is following his direction and saying, God, I love you so much that I'm going to do what you tell me to do. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John chapter 14, verse 15. So he's not just introducing this idea in John 15 all the way through scripture. He talks about us. The highest level of obedience is loving him. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. Folks, let me tell you something. The highest level of obedience is loving him. Love centers around the giver, not the gift. I want you to turn back a couple of pages to John chapter 12. I want you to notice one of the most purest portraits of love by one fellow follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice what is in John chapter 12. Pick it up in verse 1 with me and follow along here. This is Mary anointing the body of Jesus. Now watch what she says. Jesus therefore six days before the Passover came, Bethany, came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there and Martha was serving but Lazarus was one was Lazarus was with was one of those reclining at the table with him. 
Mary therefore took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but But because he was a thief and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Jesus therefore said, let her alone in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. You will not always have me. Now I want you to picture this portrait here. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Three brothers, brothers and sisters were known for their righteousness, not for their wealthiness, not for their materialism, not for their prestige in the community, but, but for their righteousness. And they loved Jesus very much. And Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And you know the story. The second sermon I preached here was on the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. And so when I, when we unlook, when we really start thinking about what happened, yes, God raised Lazarus from the dead, had been dead for four days you remember the story in John chapter 11. He cried out in a loud voice, roll away the stone, cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man Lazarus who had died came forth bound hand and foot. And Jesus says, take off those grave clothes and turn that boy loose. And then they put together a party to celebrate Jesus, but also celebrate that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And Mary uh, and Martha helped put on this particular party, and they were having the party at Simon the leper's house because he had the biggest house in town. I don't know why, but that's why God said this is the biggest place to have it, so that's where they had the party. And so they're having this party, and Martha, the master entertainer, she's cooking all the stuff and has all the hors d'oeuvres and the big party and all the things going on. And then Mary finds out how much she loves Jesus and realizes how much she loves Jesus and wants to show how much she loves Jesus. And what does she do? She takes the only thing that she has of value and she takes this pound of pure nard. I don't know what pure nard smells like, but it says 300 denarii. That's about $60. And she takes this pound of costly perfume and pours it Mark 14 says on her on his head John chapter 12 says on his feet don't get d- discouraged that scripture is in error here Mark just saw it first she poured it on his head it ran down off his feet that's my interpretation of scripture there and so she takes this pound of pure nard costly perfume students and she pours it on the feet of Jesus of Nazareth now folks let me tell you something have you looked at feet lately Feet are necessary to our bodies, amen? They are a, they're a necessary portion of our bodies. I tell you, but feet are sometimes not pretty. Mine are getting flat. I think it's because of the weight pushing down on them. I don't know, but they're, they're just not pretty, are they? Sometimes they're just not pretty, but they're very useful. And so here Mary takes this pound of pure oil and she pours it on the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And she says, I'm not looking on the gift. I'm looking at the giver. I'm giving my life to the giver who is giving me life. And she pours that pound of oil down on his feet. And the Bible says she does something very unusual. 
She takes her hair. I think it's probably black, long, long black hair, and she begins to wipe the feet of our Lord. Now, our Lord had feet just like us. They didn't have nice leather shoes and socks to wear in those days. They had sandals. It was a piece of leather. But on the bottom, it had strips. It would kind of gather around their, their calves to hold them in place. And as they walked down those journey, a journey on those roads, there were rocks and briars and sticks. And, and I'm sure the Lord had a, you know, a cut or a scar or maybe some dirt there on his feet. And she takes it and wipes his feet with her hair. Now, folks, let me tell you something. There was those people around. Must have been a deacon body or some sort. They got together and they're all getting all frustrated because she has wasted this oil on the feet of our Lord. And all of a sudden, she gathers up and the Lord makes something interesting statement. Notice what he says. Pick it back up with me. Let her alone, Jesus says in verse 7. Let her alone in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. When they got on Mary, when they got on her and said, don't do that, Jesus defended her. Folks, let me tell you something. When we're obedient to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when those that come against us the Lord will defend us each and every time. And so when she wiped his feet in her hair and he said, let her alone because you had the day of my burial for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. If you fast forward in Matthew chapter, in Mark chapter 16, they got together when Jesus had been crucified and they got to the tomb and they wanted to go and they pour the oil. You see, they did not have the embalming fluids that we have today where the body would be preserved. So they would wrap the body with strips of linen just like they did with Lazarus. And so Jesus, Jesus' body was wrapped and they got to the tomb where Jesus was and they had, the stone had been rolled away and the, 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 scri- the, the, uh, the mask had been neatly folded and laid on the shelf and they wanted to come and pour the oil and oh, he was already gone. Folks, listen to me. Only Mary anointed the body of Jesus and Mary got the blessing. Folks, let me tell you something. Love centers on the giver, not the gift. Love is not measured by any kind of sacrifice. Love does not, not only is the fulfillment of the law, but of the desires, passion of the true Christ follower. Folks, I said it a moment ago, salvation is a living relationship. We cannot grow in him apart from a living relationship with him. The more we know him, the more we will grow in him. The more we grow in him, the more we'll become like him. The more we become like him, the more we will know ourselves better and become a better self. Folks, let me tell you something. We need to know the Lord Jesus Christ more than ever before. Now, how does that happen? Through an intimate time alone with God every day. As good as Ben is as a teacher, he cannot teach you enough on how to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. As adequate a teacher as I am, adequate at best, I cannot teach you how to grow in the grace and knowledge. I can point you, but folks, let me tell you something. When I see people that are not obedient to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it's because they're not obedient to spending that adequate time getting to know the man who saved them from their wretched sins. 
Folks, the more we know Christ, the more we'll love him. In common evangelical churches today, for people to verbally acknowledge that the Bible is God's word, the final authority, both the way they believe and the way they behave. But in reality, in reality, there is a clear connection between public confession and personal conduct. We see people living like hell every day, but Sunday, they live like heaven. And folks, it's time for us to declare that we are going to live like heaven each and every day. Claiming that scripture is true and complete should preclude every evangelical sitting at the sound of my voice today to turn from the sources of what they feel like the establishment feels like to what Christ says. And in church growth, I was just in a conference for two days on transitional ministry, re re certifying my life in transitional pastor at the Georgia Baptist Mission Center. More, what a phenomenal facility, by the way. My goodness gracious, like a Taj Mahal up there, but it's beautiful. And they do it well at Georgia Baptist. I can commend them. But they would, they would contest to this as well. Church growth, demographic studies, marketing techniques, and man-made centered theology and watered down gospel overrides biblical truth often. We are seeing a culture today in church work, our quote unquote church work, that says we need to be consumer driven. We need to be event based. Folks, let me tell you something. We need to be biblically based. We need to be driven by the power of the Holy Spirit that permeates in our lives and is leaps off the pages. We have these sermons and I hear them all the time, flipping through the radio, driving around. I hear them all the time. Heard one the other day. It was almost one of these five points, how to love your mama and balance your checkbook. I mean, it's, you know, five ways to get happy and love your mama. Most, let me tell you something, what we really need. We need a steady diet of expositional preaching of God's word, an expositional study of God's word in a small group setting. Amen? We don't need another how-to anything. We need to do why-to. And the why-to is that Christ died for us and the world around us is dying and going to hell. That's why we need to be about sharing that story. Now, I want to give you four things, and we're done. Four ways to know Christ better. My mom and dad, when my mom passed away in 1998, they were married 54 years. I know some of y'all are sitting there thinking, that ain't nothing. I've been married 35, I'll be 36 years this coming May. I know that shocks y'all. We got married when we was 12. 54 years. I'll never forget my dad calling me about two o'clock in the morning. My mom had been real sick and she'd had several strokes and she was in a nursing facility. And he called me, he says, well, bud, mom's gone to heaven. About two o'clock in the morning. I said, dad, I'm on the way. Drove across town in Trustful and my hometown and pulled up. The lights were on. There he sat there in the kitchen. Pot of coffee going. Always pot of coffee at my dad's house. Walked in there, we sat down, we started drinking coffee at 2.30 in the morning. 2.30 in the morning, boy, about 4 o'clock, I was wound up, I can just tell you. I was ready to drive to Fairburn to preach, amen. <laughs> and my dad started telling those stories about them and their marriage. He said, 54 years, son, we've been married. I said, that's amazing, dad. He said, I love her more today than I did the first day I ever met her. And I grew up down the street from her. 
Folks, let me tell you something. The way that we will love Christ, know Christ better is to fall in love with him every day. I think there are four things that will help us as we wrap up today. Number one, we must give God our bodies. You say, wait a minute. He doesn't want this body. Yes, he does. He wants to use every ounce of energy that this body has left. We must give God our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 and 27. Selfish indulgence of the body often leads to sinful indifference in the day. We won't take time to read that. I want you to go back and read that. But we must give God our bodies. Number two, we must give God our minds. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice spiritual service of worship and do not be conformed to this world but be you transformed by the what renewing of your mind you see the way we get to know christ better every day we renew our fellowship with him every day meditation to the heart and the mind is what the digestive system is to the body so we need to give god our bodies we need to give god our minds thirdly we must give god our will you see, folks, we have a will, and that will is he lets us operate as we want to, but if we're going to be in obedience to him and surrender to his lordship, we got to give him our will. Matthew 28, verse 39, let this cup pass from you, if you will, through prayer, yielding your life to him. Meet today's situation with God's power from today. Get up in the morning and say, God, fill me with your power today to help me overcome the situations of today. So we must give God our bodies, give God our minds, give God our wills. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 40. We've already hit this a couple of times since I've been here, but I want you to notice this and put a circle around this verse. Psalms chapter 40, verse eight. Notice what it says. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart, saying I am gonna rivet my will is going to be matched up with your will. I delight to do thy will, your will, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. So give God your body, give God your mind, give God your will, and finally, we must give God our hearts. Give God our heart. Be silent before the Lord and worship him. Give God our heart. You see, sometimes that's a, that's a portrait that we just don't understand, do we? How do you give God our hearts? Well, you know, when you say, I love you, you're saying, God, I give you my heart. Uh, Debbie and I have been married 35, and we were talking about this yesterday, and we were talking about how much we love each other. And, and, and it, it, I don't want to get you know, kind of gushy on you up here, but both of us kind of got tearful a little bit yesterday, to be honest with you. I, I, I looked at her and I was sitting there thinking this beautiful blonde-headed blue-eyed girl, my goodness gracious, what does she see in this gray-headed old fat guy? And she said, I just love my gray-headed old fat guy. That's what she said. <laughs> no, she didn't say it that way, but she was looking at me that way is what she was doing. But when we said, I do, May 10th of 1980, we said, I want to give you my heart. Can I have yours? You see, when Jesus reached down from the halls of heaven in April of 1972, 
at the First Baptist Church of Trustful. This little Baptist boy sitting 15 rows back on Youth Sunday, I said, God, today, I don't understand it all, but I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my heart. And I want to tell you, there's been times that I've taken it back. I've taken my, my will back. But more often than not, lately, I am giving him my will each, each and every day. And so to know Christ is to love him. To love him is to know him. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. As you abide in him all day long, he is able to work in and through you to bear much fruit. The key verse in the entire passage, I believe, is verse five. Circle this one for me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The question begs today, are you truly a friend of God? Or are you so Baptist and so churched and so religious that you think you're a friend of God? A friend of God does what God says do. When he says to do it. Are you abiding in the vine?